So what town are we in? It's Severville. Is that how they're pronouncing this? Something like that. All I know is I'm looking out at the Great Smoky Mountains, a national park, which is actually free. Yeah. And one of the most visited national parks in the nation. Um, Pigeon Forge is down this way. And the whole thing with Dolly World and okay. yeah. that whole scene. Yeah, so. it's nice to have a river in the back of the Airstream here looking out. Not sure what river that is. Do you know? I think it's an offshoot of the Tennessee okay. River. Cool. So how blessed are we to be sitting out in this kind of sun, like mid-70s and almost mid-November? Yeah, early November and uh, 75 degrees, I think, and I think maybe 80 tomorrow yeah they're saying so yeah just great weather a lot of people are out here enjoying um kind of the the final push of fall before winter sets in right so when we set up this podcast sitting here out in the sunshine what a tangled uh what a tangled web web we weave (laughs) or someone wove that we didn't web yeah we didn't intentionally weave a web of tangled cords but as we were unwinding like six or seven cords that were just like a ball of chaos, I, I told Mark, you know what, it's a little bit like what we're doing today on the podcast. Yeah, because we're going to look at some, oh, I guess you might say common questions, religious questions that uh-huh. I think many people would consider very knotted, complicated questions. Uh-huh. But the Bible does have an answer to it, which often the the real naughty hard thing is not necessarily the Bible answer or finding the answer, but the application and uh, just accepting the answer. Right, right. Not trying to push a square peg into a circle hole or whatever. It's like, yeah, if you just let God answer all the questions Mm -hmm. that you have instead of, you know, maybe your priest or preacher or your parents or your bestie, You know, go to God. It's his universe. He is the author of all truth. You look how well his truth works together in creation. And so his wisdom is vast. And that's where all of our answers can be found. So let's walk through some of these frequently asked questions. So the first one that I want to talk about is, does God only want some predestined people to be saved? So for people not even familiar with the question, what people that are asking this, Mark, what is their worldview? How do they think life works? Well, in the religious world, there is this idea idea that has been labeled Calvinism that before God created Adam and Eve, that God already decided who's saved and who's lost. And thus the idea of predestination. And it's not based on what a person would do. So it's a pretty arbitrary decision and and this would be a great question because man before i even consider like salvation have i been have i already been excluded even from the category of the saved or is it truly open for all who choose to believe and follow god well on the surface i'd have to say this is one of the most offensive beliefs to me and i'll The reason why I feel that way is because this would be God creating a planet of hopelessness. Like, this is a God of hope. And if, and he's a God of justice, you know. 
and how unfair we wouldn't even treat our children that way you know like okay half of you are going to get spankings and you know it doesn't matter how well behaved you are or whatever like I've just decided you know who I'm going to punish and who I'm going to reward and it won't be based you will have no control over how that goes down unthinkable but so what what is the answer to that? Does God only want predestined people to be saved? Well, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in verse 6, it says, Who gave himself a ransom for all. And so those two verses to me would tell, tell me that no one has been excluded from day one and that a person has a choice here. God truly desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, which means the truth can be understood by all men. It can be obeyed by all men. And then I think in verse 6, Jesus didn't just die for a certain group of people. Jesus died for all men. And so salvation is truly within the capability of all men. Mm-hmm. So some people might ask kind of a similar question, are only favored and predestined people accepted by God. Um, I'm recalling in Acts 10, verses 34 through 36, Peter comes to a realization, right? He's teaching Ananias. Am I? He is. Peter's actually there at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius. Yeah. And the thing that Peter will say there will be, uh, in truth, I believe, perceive that God shows no partiality but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him now that verse could only be true if salvation's open for all that is if there really is free will mm-hmm. choice whoever it yeah. says whoever so is the grace of God only brought to Okay, I'll take that part out, and I'll take this part out, too. All of these verses are printed out on your sheet. Okay. So is the grace of God only brought to predestined people? What does God say about his grace in relationship to this doctrine of predestination? There's a passage in Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, which says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's also an interesting verse because the verse further says, that the grace instructs us to deny ungodliness. Mm. And so grace is not like a license to do whatever we want. Is mm-hmm. that the message that grace teaches us is repent and get your life right with God. That's yeah. the message that grace gives us. Yeah, that I'm grace is an opportunity to obey, isn't it? It's not an opportunity to disobey. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to express your gratitude by God by bringing yourself into compliance with what he says is actually better for you anyway mm-hmm. in terms of obedience. So um, so before the world was created, did God predestine some souls to perish? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Much like First Timothy two four, uh-huh. God does not desire. I mean, God desires all men to be saved. Yeah. And so God doesn't desire anyone end up lost. Again, that's a very hopeful passage. 
If God is waiting for all men to repent, right. it means that it means that you can really very clearly understand what do I need to change about my life. That's not a mystery. That the Bible's not a mystery. It's understandable. And that everyone does have the capability to change their life if they so choose. And that's what's fair. You know, that's mm-hmm. what's just. Yeah, he, he, there's, it would be crazy to say he's patient if, if it wasn't a opportunity of hope that people, there is hope that they will change if I just wait long enough, if I just have patience. And so that only works if people are not predestined. So another question kind of related to this is, are babies born inheriting sin, not their own? You know, a lot of denominations are baptizing their infants because they believe they have inherited sin. What does God say about that? Well, Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, This only have I found, that God made man upright. And that man's initial state is a state of pure and innocence. In fact, over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, it says, you know, do not be children in your thinking. Uh-huh. And, but then it says in reference to evil, be a child. Uh-huh. And well, that, that would mean that, obviously, that children have no connection with evil. I've always thought interesting, too, in the book of Genesis mm-hmm. that you have Adam and Eve and uh, they sin. And if, if their sin immediately goes to, like, Cain and Abel, the Bible doesn't bear that out. I mean, Abel's viewed as a righteous man. Mm-hmm. And Cain is not viewed as someone who doesn't have any choice. Mm-hmm. Cain is viewed by God as someone having definitely free will, and that Cain could master yeah. the temptation. Genesis chapter 4, Cain is clearly told that. Uh-huh, and that that's his mission, right? So, did Jesus only die for predestined people? You know, there's a lot of interesting passages on this one. We read the one in First Timothy 2, verse 6. Uh-huh. He gave himself a ransom for all. There's John three sixteen that God so loved the world. The world. There's also Second Corinthians 5, 15, he died for all. Okay. So, a lot of passages that have that same theme, that Jesus dies for everyone. Okay, so moving on from things related to predestination, another tenet of Calvinism, I believe, is that you cannot fall from grace. What's the fancy name for that? Well, the the common name, you might say, the popular name would be once saved, always saved. I think another phrase that people use is perseverance of the saints. Oh, that's right. Right. Perseverance of the saints. So can, what does God say about, can one fall from grace? Here's a passage. We have a number of passages like this where it almost looks like the passage anticipated the misuse of the passage. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, where, and it would be Galatians chapter 5, 4 through 5, where it says, you have fallen away from grace. How more plain can that be? And then there's a number of passages that talk about people departing from the faith. Uh-huh. Now, which is like, well, how could you depart from the faith 
if you were never there. Gotcha. You know, I mean, that in order to be able to depart from the faith, you had to have been saved at one point. Right. Well, that's an inconvenient truth, isn't it? Uh, I mean, with, predest- with predestination, it's like, are you kidding me? God creates people without hope mm-hmm. um, that will be eternally punished for the way that he created them, really. Mm-hmm. So, injustice. But, not, um, but can one fall from grace? Wouldn't it be handy if you couldn't? Wow, now the pressure's off. Once you're saved, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. You know, like... That's the angle that people focus on, and I think that's what they find comfort in. But the the beginning point of that is like, okay, but that doctrine goes with this idea of that God choosing arbitrarily. And so, how do you know you're even saved? I mean, too many people just assume, like, well, I'm in. Yeah. Okay, but that's a choice God makes and it doesn't, it's not keyed to anything you do in that theory. Yeah. So are we saved by faith alone? What does God say? That's a pretty popular expression you will hear people saying, you know, faith alone, faith alone. Now I think one misunderstanding of it is that people will see like John three 16, that Mm. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes Mm. in him. And they see the word believes in him and they think, Oh, that's kind of the moment that I believe there's a God or I believe in Jesus. That takes care of everything. The trouble is that the Bible's filled with a lot of other passages that mention also repentance, mm-hmm. confession, baptism, you know, obedience, faithfulness. But as far as to your question, Galatia, or excuse me, James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So there's actually a verse that almost seems to be written to anticipate Mm -hmm. that idea Mm -hmm. so my understanding is that this is the only verse in the entire bible that has the phrase faith alone right and it's in the context of you're not justified by faith alone because james chapter 2 earlier talked about like the demons they believe Uh they have faith they have faith in Uh god they have also faith that jesus Uh is the son of god and have it very seriously yeah. But they're not saved. And I don't know if this is off topic a little bit, but I don't know how you could say I had a moment of faith. Faith is such a process. I mean, and faith, when you're like three or four and you're starting to understand things, you know, you if your parents say it, you trust it. Like, there's not really a point in time. For, for very few people, there is a point in time where you can say like, 30 seconds ago, I did not believe, but now I do. I just had my moment of faith. Some people can, very few people can pinpoint that. But as we continue on in this um, question answer session, could you say 30 seconds ago, I was baptized for the forgiveness of, I was not baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, and now I have been. There is a moment in time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, that's the, I think that's the wisdom of the way God set it up, yeah. where he connected salvation to baptism, a definite act where you go into the water, you've died to the practice of sin, you've been buried with Christ, and you come up and you can say, I specifically know at this specific point in time I was forgiven. 
Right. Other than that, you're kind of left up with, and I've run into a lot of people like this. They said, well, you know, I asked God to come into my heart at 12, and then when I was in my 20s, just to make sure I asked again, and then I, when it was in my 40s, and they're kind of left with, they're never really sure at what point yeah. any of that happened. Right. So how valuable is faith without action? I think the Bible would point out in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So I think it would be viewed as pretty worthless. Mm -hmm. So is everyone who believes in Jesus saved? You know, that's a pretty common view out there, I think, in our mm -hmm. world. Kind of like everyone ends up in heaven, and except only the murderers or the really, really ba bad, bad, bad people. According to this person's standard or that person's yeah, standard. Yes, right? yes, uh, yeah. So James 2.19 says you believe that God is one or that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it almost seems to be that God there is saying to people that might want to kind of say, well, I, I believe in God. And God comes back and says, man, that's a great accomplishment. You know what? Even the, de even the demons believe that. At the end of the day, there's a lot of that type of faith, mm. but it doesn't save. Mm -hmm. So after one believes, does God require obedience? Because well, I know we're not saved by our own good works mm -hmm. that we make up, you know, like good deeds. A lot of atheists do a lot of really good deeds. Mm -hmm. Make the, you know, they they can be very uh, benevolent or humanitarian in some cases. So does that, will that save them, those works? I'm reminded of a Hebrews 5, 9 to 10. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. And then it's made very specific, obey him. Mm. That Jesus is pictured as the only opportunity or avenue of salvation, like in Acts 4.12. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the reality is that you're going to have faith. You're going to obey someone in this life or something. Yeah. No one, no one just goes through life and doesn't obey anyone or anything. You are going to follow someone, and you are going to obey someone, and you are going to believe something or believe someone. Uh -huh. The real question is... Will, you be, will your faith be in the one that can save you? Right. Well, and if you're like Frank Sinatra and you do it, why, I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, no way, I, you know, I did it my way. Okay, well, you're still then the slave of your own appetites or you're your own God. You're following your own wisdom, even if you could say like, oh, yeah, I don't really have any person that I am a student of True. spiritually. I think also typically those stories end pretty tragically. You know, you can, yeah, it looks like you did it your own way. Yeah. All right. So what, let me give a pause and I'll cut this out. So will all who believe enter the kingdom of heaven? And maybe if you could talk to us about like what is the kingdom of heaven and then will all who believe enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, just for a passage, Matthew seven twenty one through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. One translation says, you who practice lawlessness. Mm-hmm. So one thing that really jumps out there, Jesus said, at the last day, many people will approach him. So you're going to run into a lot of, what did someone call them, kind of Lord, Lord Christians uh-huh. or Lord, Lord believers. Is right. that they, they talk a good talk, but that's not enough. You can right. talk a good talk and still not be obeying what he said. That really, to me, what sticks with me personally in my own life, it says, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, those are the ones that are going to enter. You, in order to know the will of the Father, you have to be reading the will of the Father. And just the importance of the seriousness of taking time daily to listen to God by reading the scriptures. If that's what determines our destination after death, you know, there is no time to spare. You have got to make that just a part of your daily routine. What does God say? And that's what we're doing today really is, what does God say on this topic, that topic? Yeah, it, notice it's not based also necessarily on sincerity. It doesn't say, you know, all who are really sincere. You need to be sincere, but there's an added element here, and that is, the real test is, okay, but have you obeyed the will of the Father? You're right. This clearly indicates that the will of the Father is understandable. Oh, that's true. And that everyone can, and not only that, but it can be obeyed. It can be obeyed by anyone. Right. Uh, but the real test is, will you obey the will of the Father, or are you going to obey your own will? Right. Okay, so... I guess my last questions on this podcast are going to be related to baptism and they're not very, I don't know if you can call it politically correct, but it's in the denominational world. What we're about to say is not very popular, but what does God say? So Mark, what does baptism accomplish according to what God says? First Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. That's a pretty clear passage. Baptism now Now saves you. I know we run into a lot of people that will say it really has nothing to do with salvation or you're saved prior to it, but that's not what that passage says. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard it. um, Well, let's go on to the next question. So who will be saved? Well, if if we were going to start at a passage... And we would probably start with like, a good place to start would be Jesus in the Great Commission, Mark 16, 15 and 16. You know, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, that is the person that believes the gospel and is baptized, shall be saved. That's at least a place to start. Very, very clear. I mean, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. It's really, if you think of it as a math equation... If you think of it as a math equation, belief and baptism equals salvation in this verse. Belief plus baptism equals salvation. One plus one is two. Belief plus baptism equals salvation. So what, uh, what is much more popular to teach is that belief equals salvation. 
plus you should be baptized. But if you make that, but compared to the scripture, that would be one equals two plus one. And that just doesn't even make sense. God said one and one is two. Belief plus baptism equals salvation. Not belief equals salvation plus baptism. So um, people like us, Mark, are people who tell others that God requires baptism for salvation being pharisaical. Interesting. We have a passage in Luke 7, verse 30. It says, The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. That in the first century, it was the Pharisees who actually stood opposed to John's baptism, which was authorized by God. They they refused to humble themselves and repent and come and submit, you know, that they needed that too. And so at least in the New Testament, it was the Pharisees that stood opposed to baptism. So it's Pharisaical to reject baptism. <laughs> That's yeah. the irony, isn't it? That is, yeah. Yep. Very ironic. So yep. can one enter the kingdom of God without baptism? John 3, 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So... It would almost be like saying, can I enter the kingdom of God without hearing the gospel? Well, no. Can I enter the kingdom without faith? No. That would be Hebrews chapter 11, right? Verse 6. Can I enter without repentance? And I think most people would say, well, no, you can't enter without repentance. Could you enter the kingdom without confessing Christ? I think you'd have to say, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Confession that leads, isn't that? That's Romans chapter 10, 10, 10, uh, 9 and 10. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we have another podcast coming up that has all the components that God says he uses toward the salvation of our souls. So all of them are true. The sum of God's word is truth. So after Paul had believed in Jesus for three days, so Paul, you know, this this um, Paul who used to be called Saul and he used to like persecute Christians and throw them in prison. What act? What? chapter in Acts are we talking about? Well, that would be like chapter 8 when he is persecuting Christians. Yeah, and so he believes in Jesus for three days. Did he still have his sin three days after that? Acts 9 is interesting because he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is three days without sight. He's not eating anything. He's praying. The, the text, I think it's verse 11 of Acts 9, clearly uh-huh. says he's praying. Uh-huh. And he's been told, you know, he's been told that someone's going to show up and tell him what he must do. Okay, And when right. Ananias shows up, and the story's told in three chapters, Acts, or retold, Acts uh-huh. 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Uh-huh. In Acts 26, or Acts 22, when Ananias shows up, after being, having seen the Lord, and obviously believes that Jesus is the Christ because he's seen him. He hasn't eaten anything, so he's humble and he's repentant as me praying during this whole time. Yeah. Ananias shows up and says, why do you lay, why do you delay, arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on his name? That's Acts twenty two sixteen. So even after three days of faith and prayer, mm-hmm. he still had to be baptized to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So this um, washing away of your sins is, is 
is your sense something that's on your skin? I guess that kind of goes back to 1 Peter 3.21, where it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Yeah, baptism simply, I mean, baptism's not more important than faith, but it's no. not less important either because no. Jesus links them together. He that believeth yeah. and is baptized. It simply is the final condition for salvation before you're saved. It just happens to be the last one on the list that God put it there. And very appropriately so because baptism is this pattern, Romans 6, of where you, you come to Christ, you die to the practice of sin, you repent, and then you're buried with Christ in baptism, uh-huh. and then you rise to walk in newness of life. Right. And so I think, no, it's not like you have some sin sticking to your body on the outside, but it simply is the last condition prior to salvation. That God said is the last condition. Yep. Exactly. And... If the religious world were right now saying you only have to be baptized and you do not have to have faith, we'd be sitting in this beautiful sunshine of Tennessee with an emphasis on you guys. He says faith. He says faith too. But so the reason why we cover sometimes the questions on baptism is because that happens to be the passages that many in the religious world are ignoring because they i believe they want to they want faith to be by faith alone they want salvation to be by faith alone yeah let's just let god tell us how he saves us and let him dictate the ground rules and the conditions because his son died for us and so the the bible just points out you need to hear the gospel because that that's where faith comes from romans 10 17 need to believe that jesus is the christ obviously faith is essential john 3 16 but you also need to repent, uh-huh. Acts 2.38. We've met people that said, no, you don't. Yeah, which is kind of like, what? Wow. Uh, and then you need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then you need to, be ba- need to be baptized. And so let's make sure that we just emphasize each condition that God emphasizes and not leave anything out of this very, very crucial um, plan. Yeah. It's his universe. It's his system of salvation. I'm just thankful to be saved. You can save me any way you want, Lord. And if baptism is included, included in, and and if baptism is included in that, all I am is grateful. So, last question. So, is baptism something then that man does as a work to try to earn his salvation? Does it make us less? Does it make us? earn our salvation mark a lot of people have tried to throw it into a work category but you know the interesting thing on that of all the steps i think this is probably the most passive of all the steps Mm. because hearing the gospel takes a lot of work it takes a lot of courage to hear that you're a sinner faith how about faith faith takes a lot of effort right it's a trust fall yeah and repentance is That's like, the hardest. <laughs> uh, repentance is like in the crucifying, being crucified, and confession is not easy, especially when you have to confess it before other men. And But baptism is simply where 
go limp and let someone yeah go limp and let someone you and by the way under all the way the water is yeah. that's what baptism means and immersion yes. that's the most passive of all the steps uh-huh. that we've talked about today yeah. interesting in colossians chapter 2 it says in verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith so there's faith and baptism connected once more in the working of god and so the bible would say you don't do any work in baptism. God does all the work in baptism. If it's a work, it's a work of God because in baptism, God has forgiven you of your sins. You're just going limp and allowing someone to immerse you underwater. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that is far more than a ceremonial washing. This is, it's a, there's a parallel to physical birth that, you know, you, when you come out of the womb, you were, had water there. And I just love that you could actually say, hey, on November 7th, 2020 at 312 PM, I was spiritually born. There's a moment in time when the angels rejoiced in heaven when I repented and was baptized. So thank you for joining us for, and thank you, Mark, for walking us through these questions it's been handy over these 40 years to be married to a concordance a walking concordance because i can say about three words like mark where in the bible does it talk about this that and the other and and he can pretty much uh pull that out so that's been wonder a wonderful wonderful thing and thank you for your work and your help today on Nomads You and I podcast to get some more truth out there of what God says. Let's go to God for all of our answers to all of our questions. We will see you next time. Catch you later.